0: I think uh, Aileen's going to turn herself on here, and uh, what we're going to do is, if you'd like to ask questions, we have this um, mobile mic so that if you're, we can actually hear the questions. That's quite important. So, uh, Aileen, did you have any opening remarks? <laughs> <laughs> she said it all last night. Okay. Okay. Um, we're open to, from any direction. You can ask Aileen a lot of questions. I know that she's had some very embarrassing questions asked on her personal life during these kind of sessions, and she handles them well. <laughs> so you can go in almost any direction. Uh, but, yeah, so, yeah, anything we to any starting, maybe we'll start on this side. If there's any questions on this side, and then we'll pass the mic around.
1: Can you talk a little bit about your experience with church planting in Jordan? None. (laughs) Uh, um, That is our desire, to see... Is this
0: loud?
1: (laughs) Okay. um, Because our believers are very few in number and very persecuted in number, uh, we believe that God will eventually... um, gather together, Muslim believers. We'll never call it a church. We'll never call it church planting, but that's what we aim for. And because um, being a Muslim community, they'll probably be called um, gatherings, assembly, something that is not offensive to Muslims, but that's our desire. But so far, um, there are very few Muslim believers who are brave enough even to identify themselves to their fellow believers. Yes, I
0: okay. Hi, I was just wondering if you had any tips or pointers in studying and learning Arabic or just some things you learned along the way.
1: Um, give your whole life to learning Arabic. It's a very difficult language, but it is possible. And I would say just stick with it and find yourself... If you're here in the States, find yourself an Arabic-speaking friend. Uh, Establish a relationship with them and ask them to be brutally honest with you and correct you as you go along. And then when you get to the mission field, there are schools for Arabic. I did not have a school, but I had a very excellent um, Jordanian lady who taught me to speak. So tutoring is good, but just getting out and be ready to be laughed at laugh at you. I remember once I was speaking uh, uh, praying I thought I prepared my prayer perfectly and instead of saying Lord bless whatever, I said make your camels lie down. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how, many, how
0: many years did you do like, formal training or study? Okay. For two years
1: I, I had um, uh, a lesson every uh, five days a week for two years but I kept studying I did a, group, a degree in Arabic from the London University not that I needed a degree but it kept me studying so okay. last evening you spoke about um, Message from that nursing school that they wanted a nurse and wanted you to pray for the
0: nurse and it turned out to be you. Can you speak about your support? Did you ever have to raise support, or did, are you paid, or how do you exist there?
1: I know God's provided, but how? Tell us. Okay. More. When I first went out in 1955, uh, I was with a mission, um, mission society and we had to raise our support, which meant going around from church to church, and getting um, promises of support. In those days, we had to raise $150 a month. Uh, very different today. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then when Eleanor and I, um, we were uh, a part of a mission society for 10 years, and then it was a denominational society in which sadly the church in the state split. Which sadly happens, and we were on the wrong side, so we were asked to leave. And, uh, um, it was part of God's sovereign plan to get us where we are today. And when we came back in 1965, um, mission boards would look at us because we broke all the rules. We had two single women going to the Muslim world to work among the deserts and to build a hospital. And, um, so Ellen and I felt very strongly that uh, I think we needed God's confirmation that He was in this because so many people said it wouldn't work. And so we came back in 65 completely dependent on the Lord for our needs. We prayed a lot and our patients got fed and sometimes it was very difficult. We, we used to charge the patients about 50 cents for x ray, lab work, and all that they needed. And we used what we got today in the clinic to buy the food for tomorrow. But it's changed today. God's been very, very gracious to us. And we have missionaries, about 25, is it? 25 missionaries from various mission societies and agencies who are responsible for their support. And they heard us with a, um, he's our general director, whatever, CEO and uh, he, he had to raise support for his his family, of uh, four. Amy, can you tell us how you and Dr. Salto asked for money? At the beginning, we didn't. Um, and it only cost, at the beginning, we had a, a very small rented building. But, and, um, now in, in those, even in those early days, if anybody said, uh, we like a project, uh, I say we got a pencil and paper and uh, no we give them a, a project that we had needs
0: for so you know that they a, a Nina and saw enough money come in to build a hospital without asking for money yeah. they, when people came and wanted to get involved and actually asked for details at that point they would provide the information so people could participate financially but they never went out and asked for a penny and the whole hospital was built. Maybe from the middle section
1: for a while. I'm not really sure how to ask this. Marriage kind of hit me upside the head. I wasn't expecting it. I
0: love being single. I don't hate being married now. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) How do I now, as someone who is married, encourage single ladies, who I used to be a part of, how do I encourage them the most... 'Cause now I'm like
1: outside the club. How do I what do I need to do to encourage them? How can I come alongside and hug? With with a married couple? Yeah, I'm married. He's not married I'm right now. now. Sorry. We're in two different I don't know I don't know what session he's at. <laughs> how do you um, How do I as a married couple, how do we as a married couple come alongside single women okay. and men and encourage? As a single, as a single woman, I'm very contented with being single. So but I would say, uh, um, <laughs> then you got married. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not against marriage. Some of my best friends in the world are married. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I would say include them because, you know, as a single person, this is from personal experience, people try to set us up. You know, and Christians are worse than the people of the world. <laughs> they, they plan the perfect mate or spouse. And um, so I'd say just accept them um, in, the fa- in, the, in spite of the fact that they're single. Include them in your families. Because we like to be aunties and one of our missionary doctors here, he's got two little boys who just live down the, the road from me, and they're always <coughs> bragging how good they can ride on their bikes. <laughs> and uh, little things like that to be included in a family situation because um, we're alone, but not necessarily lonely. So I'd say include them in, in your family.
0: I mean what can you say about uh, you, for many years, had another uh, single missionary as a, as a working partner you did ministry together is that necessary that if you're a single woman you have to find another woman to work with uh, or how does that work? I thought it was very necessary until Elmer Salter died <laughs> uh, but
1: I think if you can find a, a, a good partner you don't need to be the same Elmer and I were those that knew Elmer and I we were at the extreme ends of personality and what we, the way we thought, and uh, so it is good to have a, so if any of you nurses are planning to come, to come to the Middle East especially, I can only talk about the Middle East, um, find somebody that shares your vision, shares your passion, and form a friendship, but you can't exist alone, I've proved that for the last 18 years.
0: Um, just wondering how practically you begin sharing the gospel with people and building relationship with the Muslims.
1: Um, as I've said a couple of times, you need to earn the right to, uh, to preach to Muslims. You can, I'm, I'm not against Campus Crusade, I think it's got a wonderful ministry, but you can be a Muslim with the four spiritual laws and expect to get results who get kicked out of the country. And so it's, it's all a matter of relationships. And what I do um, with a new friend in the Muslim world is say, tell me about your religion. And they will proudly tell you what Islam, and a lot of them don't really know much about Islam. And they tell you what they believe, what they've heard from the shiuch, the, the religious leaders. And then, because they're very polite people, they say, what do you believe? And so you've got the door wide open. Never hit Islam. Never knock Islam. And say, what well, we know that Islam is a wicked religion. We know that. But if you say that to a Muslim person, your religion is wrong, it's horrible, you've closed the door. And so I would say, live your life as a believer and they will ask questions. Why do you do this? Why are you different? And then... Um, I aggressively but lovingly preach the gospel. I don't preach against Islam. We've got so much positive in the gospel. We don't need to hear Islam. So I'd say, give the truth in love and without ever talking against the Prophet Muhammad or against Islam itself.
0: I guess you talked about um, singleness a little bit already, but can you talk a little bit more about, like, was it ever a struggle for you, or was it ever something you wondered, like, would I be better off as a married woman in ministry, or just kind of how God led you in that?
1: Okay, um, I never t- took a vow <laughs> when I spent twenty five to be single. Um, it just happened. And um, there are challenges as a single woman, you get propositions from all over the world.
0: <laughs> um, Can you tell us a few of <laughs> I'll leave that to you. <laughs> um,
1: but um, I've never found it difficult. I guess because I've been so busy. Um, I love children, and I thought I think when I realised I wasn't going to be to, to be married. Um, not that I chose it, it just happened, um, but God gave me the privilege and the headache and the lack of sleep of raising nine Bedouin orphans. So, I've had the choice of being a surrogate mother to Bedouin children, most of whom are grown up now, some are married, but I keep in touch with them. So, no, it's not a, a real issue. I think um, it says God... Uh, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We need to be godly and we need to be content with the situation we're in, even if you're married.
0: (laughs) Especially if you're married. (laughs) No, uh, this... uh, You, if you haven't worked with Aileen, you have to realize that this thing of being single is is her whole life. And we have a good friend that... that, um, they need to be married today. I mean, there are men still trying to marry. Them. <laughs> <laughs> that might surprise you. That's, this. that's. This. <laughs> anyway, I will tell the rest of the story later. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an ongoing... Uh,
1: I no never found anybody good, good enough. <laughs>
0: Hello, I didn't get to hear you last night, so I
1: apologize if you talked a lot about this, um, but we hear more and more in the Muslim
0: world that people are having dreams and visions of ISA, and I wanted to know if, if just some experiences that you've heard of from your friends. It does happen,
1: and I think it's happening more than it used to happen, and I found uh, within the last, oh, I've been away in the last couple of months, we had a, a male patient who had a dream or a vision, they usually cannot tell you if it's a dream or if it's a vision. But it does happen. And it's often the thing that uh, encourages uh, a Muslim person to seek further the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in dreams and visions. I've never had one. I don't need it. I have scripture. But it does happen with Muslim people. This lady's pink. Had a hand up for now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. I was just wondering if somebody wanted to come in, kind of be under your shadow and just follow you, or be, um, or you be their mentor for however long, you just kind of learn um, what you do. And
1: I think it's very important you to take. for young people like you. Um, not to be mentored by a person. There are some excellent missionary associations, organizations that will prepare you. I'm not against having people mentor me or shadow me, but all my ministry is in Arabic, so you'd be frustrated. You wouldn't know what's going on, and in the Arab world we yell and shout, and a lot of people think we're fighting, but we're not. That's just how we do things in the Arab world. So I would encourage you, if you're really interested in knowing about Muslim evangelism, find an organization that is committed to Muslim evangelism. And then, if I live long enough, you come to Mufraq as a a missionary, you can mentor
0: me. Not mentor you, you mentor me. Mentored by Eileen, yeah. Good morning. Was there a moment when you knew you were going to stay there the rest of your life?
1: No, it just happened. (laughs) I didn't make that decision, but I I knew that God called me there. And until today, including today, I'm sure that's where God wanted me to be. And it was never a decision. It was just a way of life. I would like to ask... Four different questions, but um, one at a time. Okay, <laughs> I <don't know. laughs>
0: When you, when a patient receives Jesus Christ into their heart, do you refer them to a house church or to the other
1: uh, church there in Mafraq? No. Um, in in Mafraq, there is um, there are two national churches from the Christian population, and so. Uh, we do not refer them to a Christian church because their cultures are so different. What I've been doing for the last um, couple of years at least is when a patient becomes a, a believer, I visit them in their tent and encourage them. And as I said at that first question, we do long to see a few Muslim believers, followers of Jesus, um, meet together. No, we do not refer them to a local church. Do you use the Jesus film at all? Yes, we do. We have it going all the time.
0: What about orphanages in
1: northern Jordan? There are uh, government orphanages in the, in the northern... Oh, I guess in every one town, there is a government orphan uh, orphanage. And there are several. These are government-run orphanages. They're not open to missionaries? No. Uh, in Jordan, being a Muslim country... All orphans are considered Muslim, even if they come from Christian families or Christian mothers. And so, uh, no, they're, they're run by the government, and all orphans are considered to be Muslim. The last question is, what wisdom do you have for an older woman starting out to serve Syrian refugees in Jordan? Um, actually, in our small town of Mufrak, there is a the local um, Christian Missionary Alliance Church has a very active um, ministry. Now, this isn't in the camps. The camps are run by the UN. But these are uh, refugees that are, in, are living in, in there are uh, Actually, there are many thousands that have come with enough money to live. They're running out of money now. And this is, uh, I think, the chief, uh, we would say Brother Nord is the chief, uh, the pastor of the local Christian Missionary Alliance churches is, is organizing uh, a group uh, working with, uh, with uh, refugees in Mafangtao.
0: Okay,
1: Hi. Um. I actually just wanted to be a witness about how hard Arabic is. I grew up in an Egyptian family, and I've been around it. And if you want to make my grandpa laugh, just have like have myself speak Arabic to him. He'll crack up. He like will literally bring me and say, "Come speak Arabic so they can laugh." <laughs> but um, I had a question. Uh, I have a lot of Muslim friends, and they have a lot of respect for you know obviously reverence for Prophet Muhammad. When You see, Muslims convert. Do they still have that type of respect for Muhammad? No. Um, I have never seen a Muslim believer who's truly a follower of Jesus have any respect for the Prophet Muhammad. No.
0: Okay. Good morning. I was just wondering where you have received spiritual support and encouragement over the years. Is it just meeting with your staff or have you had a home group or how have you gotten encouragement for all these
1: years? Straight from the Lord. Because we were there alone. Ellen and I were there alone. And so I guess we were forced just to depend on the Lord for our spiritual food and nourishment. But now we do have a, a mission family and we do have... Regular fellowship meetings with our missionary staff. fighting the Muslim Brotherhood, not that we fight them physically, but we know that they're so um, uh, strongly against what we're doing in evangelism. I have wondered if, if it's worthwhile. Not often. Uh, but um, Dr. Salta, who was my colleague, was a very strong person and any time I doubt it, she'd, she'd be there and say, did God bring him? Just... Just accept it. And uh, let it be temporary. But overcoming doubts, again, through the Word of God.
0: Right there in the back. Hi, I have a question. Um, since you are in such a highly persecuted area and you have, as you say, a lot of underground Christians, how do you balance that with? Also, the scripture where it says, if you deny me in front of, you know,
1: man, and owning Christ in front of mankind, as part of the Christian walk, how do you balance that part? I've read that many times. But I think God is utterly just. And even though that is in the Bible, and I believe it, um, I'm not going to push any Muslim believer to confess Christ openly. It can mean their death. If it's a woman, it will mean her um, uh, being divorced or losing her kids. And so um, I just, as even as um, Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He knows their hearts. And so it's not one of my verses that I push with Muslim believers. Okay, thank you. We have another
0: question back here. hi. I was just curious what your favorite Bible verse is. There is so many.
1: (laughs) I really don't have a favorite one. I guess at different stages of my life, I've had different verses that have have spoken to me. And uh, I don't have one favorite verse. It all depends what my spiritual state is at any given time
0: there's a question back here side good morning how are you I'm fine <laughs> um, I was just wondering whatever became of your former fiance did you stay friends with him um,
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> he became a missionary in the St. Nica in Tanzania he married a nurse and uh, he's in heaven now but we did uh, i I met him not too long before well about twenty years ago. And I want say thanks Lord <laughs> Hi, Amy. Um,
0: I was wondering you know so many missionaries talk about this very um Very uh, clear calling from the Lord. Honestly, sometimes I don't—I don't exactly even understand what the call means. I know that in the scriptures we're called to go. Um, I've never heard the Lord speak audibly to me and say, "Go somewhere," or you know, "I've called you to go." I guess my question would be for those of us who don't have this clear as a bell yes, I know that God has sent me somewhere, but still have a love and a heart for peoples and other nations and places, what would you say as far as going? I just, I would, you know, I'd I say be
1: faithful where God has put you. Maybe he's chosen for you to stay right where you are, and that's his call to you. And I, I, don't, I never had a, a lightning from heaven calling me to the Muslim world. It was just a gradual um, assurance in my heart that this is where I should be. And so I would say because in spite of all the wonderful stories we, we tell, life on the mission field is tough. We're in a battle for men's souls and we, we're meeting people from different cultures and so and and I often say to people that ask me if you can possibly stay where you are and have peace in your heart, stay there. But if you die, uh, if you're always bringing God's bringing back to your mind a certain a place, then I'd say move ahead. And if it's not a God, he'll close the door. But if it is a God, he'll continue open doors. Maybe he's called you to stay right where you are, pray for and support those. Who, you rep- who are representing you for Christ. But don't just think that the only call is to the foreign mission field. God needs people right here in America. But don't use that as a, as a cop-out. And say, well,
0: God's called me to make money in America. I've not think about that. But, uh,
1: so, you can be called. And so I would say, if, as long as you've got a fruitful ministry, even if it's in prayer, Financially supporting missionaries, stay where you are.
0: Were you ever afraid when you first left?
1: No. I was 25. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Australia.
0: <laughs> Did you ever make anybody else afraid? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell some stories about your closest uh, Muslim friends, Al?
1: There's so many of them. But, uh, when I visited al this is in the north of Jordan, up near the Iraqi border. I went one day to visit a, a Muslim friend. Uh, her children, three of her children had been in the hospital with various, well not with TB, We do admit kids that have other uh, life-threatening problems. And uh, when I went to visit her one day, traditionally, the Bedouin, especially all Arabs, will give you the tea. A cup of, we call it tea-flavored sugar. Because it's (laughs) so sweet. And uh, this lady um, didn't didn't give us tea. So I thought, I knew well enough to go and check in her kitchen. She had nothing. And... uh, so we were able to go to the nearest market and buy her some food. And what happened the next day, she invited us for dinner. And so she's become, a, um, she's still a Muslim. She said she believes in her heart. Um, but I believe that she's my sister. She's my sister in Christ. Because any time I, um, if our water runs out, for instance, in, which often happens in the desert, she'll always bring us a... a, a couple of liters of water to drink while we are there. And that, for a, a Bedouin who lives in the desert, that's a great gift.
0: Um, what are some aspects of the culture of
1: Jordan that you enjoy the most? Their hospitality. Um, their commitment to... It takes a long time to be accepted by... Um, i speak mainly about Bedouins, but by all Arabs. But after you've been accepted, they drive you, with a, as a single woman, they drive me crazy taking care of me. And, uh, and I think their hospitality and their loyalty. Once you have a friend in the Muslim world, you've got a friend for life. And I've proved that many, many times. One time my car broke down, I was alone and a man came uh, in a huge big semi-trailer truck it was about this high off the ground and in the Muslim world there's no touching between the sexes and I, he said, I'll take you to Mufrak. and I thought, looked at this and he said just consider me as your brother and with that he hauled me up in <laughs> this truck <laughs>
0: the sacrifice of, like
1: leaving your family and your fiancé can you talk about that a little bit please it was just I was so sure of my um, call to the Middle East it was, um, wasn't dramatic but the more I prayed about it the more uh, and I had a very um, godly principal of the Bible school I was in and he gave me the, the advice that I'm giving to so many if God's in, in, in this move ahead And it meant just, um, because my parents at that time was very convinced he was going to Africa. And I think we thought at that time it would be like Abraham offering Isaac, that it would be temporary, but it wasn't. And so, it was tough. It was tough. What about
0: your family and your own church? Did they back you? Oh,
1: no. (laughs) My father especially, um, he was an Englishman, And, you know, some of the English people have ice in their veins. (laughs) Um, I was the youngest of a fairly large family, and and the boys used to, my brothers, uh, had to work to put them through school, but by the time I was ready to go to college, um, the other boys were all in jobs. And so um, they were very resentful of the fact that my father paid for my education and then, when, I, um, when God led me to be a missionary, they were very angry. How can you do this to Dad? He spent all this money on you, and some of you know the story. How can you do this? And I remember when my uh, parents were getting old, my already married siblings were saying, you've got to come back and take care of them. You're single. So my family wasn't uh, supportive. Uh, and I've got one surviving brother now and he's not yet a believer so I have no uh, family support the church, I grew up in a very legalistic church and when I came out with a Presbyterian Mission I was ruled out of the church so I had no, no real support from family or church that has changed I have a great home church right in Memphis now that I'm very committed to what
0: I'm doing. Um, You said last night that the majority of those that you speak with will probably reject the gospel. Um, What advice do you have for those beginning their work in the mission field so they won't be discouraged from the get-go when the majority of people they do talk to reject them?
1: I think right here in America, many people that you love and you talk to reject the gospel. And so it's not new, it's anywhere in the world, but it's something you know, as the Lord came to the earth, when you saw before he was crucified, who was with him? Nobody. I don't believe they rejected, but they weren't there for him. And so I think as our great example, the Lord Jesus Christ himself was rejected. And so it it reminds me that this is how I should be. Children. Um, Being the only
0: Christian in a Muslim family, how? What advice can you give in terms of ministering to your family, Um, especially when because I got converted, there's a lot of division in the family how would you encourage me to reach out
1: to my You are a very precious child of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a I believe that Muslim believers, followers of Jesus, are very close to the heart of God. And you have a privilege of being chosen by the Lord to know him. And I, I have no assurance and no real encouragement, but I say as you live before them, they're going, as we say now, in, in spite of it, what they believe about you now, someday you'll be able to lead some of them to the Lord. And just live it before them. Don't preach, they don't want that. But as they see you, maybe you've been rejected. But remember, you have a great family here, um, especially you who are interested in Muslim work, your brothers and sisters, who will pray for you. And I say, pray for my sister, my daughter here, who has had the courage to leave Islam and become a follower of Jesus. She needs your prayer. Thank you.
0: really quick questions first I'm just wondering um, are there some ways that as you've been getting to know the Bedouins that God has used that to help you to know Jesus better
1: you know so much of the Bedouin culture is Old Testament and I think uh, I found it very helpful to as I am sitting with Bedouin fam- families it used to be women to women but now I'm old I can talk to the men and uh, remind them you know you are the sons of Abraham even though they're through Ishmael and that leads into, well, how? I'll ask you why. And so it just takes time. And to comparing their culture as it is today with that of Abraham in, in Genesis. And that'll open doors.
0: It's me again. <laughs> Hi. I know you work specifically with Muslims, but what's your opinion on Judaism and Jews?
1: I believe all that the Bible says about uh, Israel, but my heart is with the Muslims. Hi, um, I just
0: have a uh, quick question. Um, but um, how do you, um, how have you experienced overcoming the struggles of circumstantial fears um, while also trying to be safe? Like you, you know, what causes not? Did you put the microscope? Um, I <laughs> kind of um, finding the balance between being cautious and not being afraid because the Lord calls us not to fear um, while also trying to overcome the struggles like how, how have you experienced overcoming the struggles of circumstantial fears and wanting to be safe while also trying to just release that to the Lord
1: and giving that over to his will okay Um, I'm speaking about the Middle East you you know we're in there's wars all around us but we have such wonderful uh, promises of God that he'll be with us he'll protect us and um, I have been afraid um, not these days uh, but uh, in the uh, the six day war which was way back in 1967 when I was captured for taking photos by the Iraqi army who came to help us and caused us more trouble than we knew possible but uh, I was captured by them for a while and I was afraid and uh, it was at that time I thought God if I die it's okay but I don't want to be tortured I didn't know how I'd handle being tortured and so I think um, knowing what the Bible teaches about fear I think we've got to have common sense and I, um, when it comes to uh, a critical situation politically or militarily, but I don't think we have need to be afraid if we are depending on God. And, uh, that's personal. Um, of course, it's, I think it's very different for families who have young children. God has given the families' children, a, and I believe with all my heart, that's their first responsibility, and I would say. Check with families about how they overcome concerns about their kids and uh, in, in Jordan in a, uh, potential potentially, which is a war zone but personally I've been afraid, but that's uh, doesn't last long. Hello, um, How did you first meet Christ? I had a mother who, who prayed um, very, very sincerely and a great length for me and in those days um, as soon as I went to college I got away from a very restrictive home life because of my father's belief in a very legalistic uh, form of faith and so I went wild my first three years of college. And it was nothing dramatic. I tried everything that was available in those days. That's 60-some years ago. But uh, after about three years of that, I thought, been there, done that. And it was just an answer to mother's prayers. But uh, I quietly and uh, unemotionally said, God, forgive me. And so that was was the beginning of a great life. So you were a college student then? Third year. Third year. Third year. So
0: of school. In the United States, um, we take so many precautions against tuberculosis. I was just wondering, like, have you personally had it, and do you have any kind of precautions in your clinic? Or
1: Tuberculosis is not as infectious as people imagine. I've seen people... Photos of people here in the States—you look like you go to space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, personally, I never wear a mask, even. But we, um, student nurses, uh, will wear a mask for close patient care, like injections and bed making stuff like that. But is uh, not as infectious as people uh, imagine, and I. Uh, um, Thankfully, we've never had a staff member get TB in the 60 years I've been working with TB, And we take and a lot of our patients um, sit on the floor until we teach them otherwise and cough in your face. Um, so, God's faithful. And uh, I don't, sometimes I pray for the safety of our Jordanian staff, but not often. <laughs> we do test them. We do PVDs and do x-rays every six months so that if not, God forbid, uh, they have con- uh, they become latent from a negative uh, PPD we get a prophylaxis
0: for six, eight months Do you have a person TV?
1: Not in Mufraq uh, I had it when I was in, in school I think because I was getting such a, not getting enough sleep, and not eating properly. I think I have very minimal um, cavitation.
0: I was just going to ask, can you like expound on how like the whole six-day war thing, like your capture and how that all
1: worked out, how you got released and everything? The six-day war, um, because Muffra, where we live, has an airbase. So if it hadn't been so badly, it was sort of exciting to see the dogfights as the Israelis came in and bombed us uh, very strategically. They did not bomb the town; they bombed the airbase. And um, the time I was captured was after the Iraqis came to help us. Um, I was in a town nearby getting supplies for the hospital, and they came out with Kalashnikovs. You know, no automatic weapon stopped me, so I obeyed <laughs> and took me to the um, chief of the uh, What's that? The battalion there in, in Mafraq. I don't know English. I asked him. He you knows about language. <laughs> um, and so it, it was scary to have a gun in your back. And um, but God undertook. I wasn't there for long. I said I was taking uh, photos of military installations and so I, and I, in the end I said I need to see the commanding officer and he said Ahmed Zaydan I, I said yes that's the one I didn't know who his name was <laughs> <laughs> and so I got into him and, and um, we talked he said, well, I, I said do you know who's one I take photos of and he said no I said Patience checks. And so, uh, and then as we talked, he he had trained in Tennessee in the office of school, and so we just he sort of uh, asked for my forgiveness and took me back to the hospital where Eleanor was in a frenzy, and I think her reaction was more violent than I got. Right? Where have you been till This was before the days of cell phones, <laughs> and so uh,
0: wasn't very wasn't that dramatic. What has been your most difficult experience? Oh. I don't what to
1: choose from. As I mentioned um, last night, or sometime when I spoke, I think the most difficult experience is when you're charged... Because we preach, they make something political out of it. And I think that is, it's so difficult when you're working. In the early days, we worked sometimes 18 hours a day caring for their people and then have being accused of being spies and and working against the government. I think that is very difficult to handle.
0: Uh, I was just wondering if you could expand on your education as a nurse and what your role looked like, what your like, healthcare role looked like on the machinery field and how it changed over the years.
1: Um, I got a, a BS in nursing I and mean, I got a master's degree, a degree in what they, in Australia they call wish obstetrics. I thought I'd be delivering babies for the rest of my life. But um, as all you mothers know, you're only interested in that little infant. And so I felt it was frustrating to not be able to witness to women. So that's when I went to learn Arabic, I saw the, the advantage of uh, uh, treating a chronic disease for evangelism. And um, when we first went, uh, we, I started a nursing school when we were at the hospital in Bethlehem. And... Um, specializing in it was like a practical nurse's course with 70 hours of chest diseases so they um, understood what they were caring for nursing um, in jordan and in many countries in the middle east nursing care is appalling there is no real care and if you want to survive hospitalization you take somebody with you to take care of you and so sadly it has not improved a lot we have um, five or six uh, Jordanian um, nurses' aides who we teach, and um, they're very strict with them, and I think probably our patients get better care than you would in most of the government hospitals. It, um, sadly, in the country, nursing care is still very, very poor. Um, doctors come and do an excellent job in surgery or whatever they're doing,
0: and then the patients die. And can you can you expand a little bit more on why that why the nursing care is so different from the, the, the physicians care?
1: I think what happens in the Middle East uh, for many years nurses were just one small step above or below street cleaners and girls with a good education. The parents would not let them enter nursing school, and so in the early days, when I first read it, was the girls that failed their high school and um, were from very poor, poor families who would be excellent cleaners who became nurses, and so that's I think that's the main reason. And um, Islam has a very poor, you know, there's no real mercy in Islam. They say a lot of hate. God is merciful, but they don't practice it. And I think it's part, part of the effect of Islam in the whole community that has brought the standard of nursing care down. Did it I, I just, I'm interested,
0: did anybody else have any questions about that nursing question? So, um, I totally understand what you say about nursing and having... Um, almost not a a good job to have, even in African countries where the care nursing care is very, very poor. How would you advise somebody who's from Africa and has seen both sides of nursing care here and nursing care for example where I'm from in Kenya and what changes how can you implement changes that are not
1: Let's say offensive, but also they bring change. With great difficulty. (laughs) Um, I think. If are you planning to go back to Kenya or? I I go back every year. Okay. I think. um, Are you involved in nursing education or? Yes, I'm a nurse. You're a nurse. Okay. I would say take that with you. um, Good nursing skills and just do it. Because people will notice the difference between the care you give your patients and the care that the patients were getting in some other
0: situation. So. Which is by going into nursing school in the country and in doing nursing education, also part in of that? In,
1: uh, in Kenya? Mm-hmm. Unless you're a very strong person who can fight the government. <laughs> the <laughs> government? No. What advice would you give a college student interested in studying abroad in Jordan? Uh, and I think the opportunity would be at the Jets Seminary. Jets Seminary is well known as an a evangelical seminary. Is it uh, Jewish in English, The Jets? No, in Arabic. It's in Arabic. In they have to have enough Arabic too. But it is a good school. And uh, we have many, patients, many students from South Sudan we're getting a good theological uh, education. It's a good school.
0: Can you uh, speak specifically about how you became interested in the Muslim world versus other parts of the world that you could go into? Um, I know from our conversation just so far, from hearing you speak, you have a lot of passion for the Muslim world. Could you speak a little bit about how you developed those passions?
1: Um, When I left Australia to go to the Middle East in 1955, I did not love the Muslim. I went there because I knew that um, God had opened the doors and this is where I should be. But once you get to know them, God will give you such a love for the Muslim people. And I think that was just a gradual getting to know the Muslim people of the area I was in. And... um, I love game, and I'm, I'm passionate about loving Muslim people. There's somebody back here in the
0: middle? Part? <laughs> I'm just wondering, as a female health professional,
1: did you ever face any limitations culturally, and what were those? Um, we're careful to learn the the culture of the country but when Eleanor and I first went many people said the male patients will never allow you as a female doctor to care for them but uh, I think understanding the cultural restrictions we've never had a a problem and um, I mean often with the incoming new missionaries I tell them the cultural things don't Touch men and don't look at men in the eye, and all the other cultural things that are important. Because uh, I've got gray hair now, though, some men will walk in and kiss me. And they sort of, oh, you just
0: be telling us. <laughs> but, um, we're very careful about the cultural things, and no, we've never had problems. Could you just share with us what your day to day activities were? routines.
1: Okay, um, I've been relieved of a lot of those now because I'm old, um, but uh, I, I get up at five in the morning and uh, have my own personal personal devotions, and this was before I was relieved of my job as director of nurses. I would have breakfast with the student nurses, have devotions with them, but our actual work day begins at ten minutes of eight and um, most, uh, if I'm not in the, the um, clinic, the rural, not the rural, the desert clinic, I see patients until with, through seeing patients, and three days a week I speak in the, in the evangelistic meetings. So the days I speak, I spend the afternoon preparing for that, and um, if you want to write to me, don't, because I probably won't answer your letters. <laughs> um, so, and then um, in the afternoons and in days when I'm not seeing patients in the clinic, um, I like to go out to the desert and sit with the former patients and just be a, a, an auntie to them. And some of them call me grandma now and uh, help them in their, in their walk. And uh, then we, we have a meeting five nights a week with our patients, segregated. So I, every night I attend the evangelistic meetings, and then uh, in the evenings, my dog, and go to bed. <laughs> uh, my question is, well, to preface it, uh, a missionary once
0: told me or told my congregation at church that we shouldn't put missionaries on a pedestal because they're still very human so I was curious in what ways do you still see yourself after so many years of amazing work (laughs) and sinful and broken
1: I think that's a big mistake that churches make in putting us up on a pedestal as though we're super saints we're not and uh, so I think um, just reminding myself that God in his grace saved me and I'm a sinner like everybody else whether it's here where you've God has placed you. And uh, we missionaries have a different situation but the same temptations as you have in, here in the West. And it's just a close personal relationship with, with the Lord that will save us from that.
0: Of a clinical question, but I was wondering if you see a lot of multi drug resistant TB and like some of the difficulties you've had in treating those cases. Uh,
1: Our our hospital is the only place in Jordan where multi drug resistant TB is treated. They're referred to us not just from Jordan, we have a man now from Iraq that flew in in a plane spreading his bacteria all over the plane. up in the north of Iraq to man, And so uh, it is, it's a challenge. As you know, they need to have two, at least two years of treatment and, or a year and a half if they do very, very well, most of whom don't. And uh, the, the medications we use are those recommended by the World Health Association. We're part of the Bill Gates Foundation. Um, and our cure rate for our multi-drug resistant TB patients is 87%. Um, in America, it's 62. Um, we pray for our patients every day. And um, we're very carefully following the dog's program. And, um, and if they don't come back for the medication, we chase them. We go get them and bring them back. So God has been very gracious. Of course, the drugs are very toxic. Some of them go crazy with the cyclosurine and um, they get um, the amicase can cause complete and permanent deafness. We've had
0: that happen on occasions too. But uh, God has, been, has blessed us with
1: uh, a good recovery rate and I think that's following carefully the dogs program and um, um, making sure that they finish their medication.
0: Their book in addition to the Bible or other than the Bible that you has made a big difference to you that you could recommend to all of us that you would
1: I, I love um, Bible study books at the, um, at the I love um, John Packer uh, to, uh, uh, he's an Englishman teaching in Canada and uh, Piper is my favourite, my very favourite um, author because he he doesn't
0: pussyfoot around. <laughs> <laughs> he just tells you how it is. And I've been
1: convicted many times as I've read uh, these two authors. They're my very favorite authors.
0: Hi, I'm wondering what your favorite Middle Eastern culture, like tradition is. And do you practice Ramadan with the with your Muslim friends?
1: No, I, I do not fast. Because I think you're making a statement. If you fast now, some missionaries do, and that's their choice. Um, they say it helps them to relate to the difficulties of fasting. But personally, I think it's um, you're making a statement. But you're thinking, well, Islam's not so bad, and I'll uh, fast. And what was the other question?
0: Uh, what was your favorite? What's your favorite Middle Eastern tradition?
1: hospitality um, I, when I'm on the stateside I live or my home base is North Carolina and I do enjoy southern hospitality but you ain't learned nothing yet because <laughs> you come and live in the better world and your loyalty I'm not sure what's our time? Then, repeat it oh, 10.20? two more questions and that's okay. it. I I had to play. That's why I'm stopping. <laughs> I have one
0: more question. So I work with a lot of Muslim populations and recent refugees who have just reestablished from like Saudi Arabia and Syria and different areas. And I'm wondering the boundaries here, how we have with men. Because like a lot of them, and like you're in America, so I make eye contact with them, I talk with them. A lot of times I'll work with their wives and stuff like that just to, to sort of respect that. But do you have any advice on recent refugees who have come from Syria and
1: Jordan remember that they've been terribly traumatized and so I think it's very important to let them talk and tell you the grief and the the loss that they've suffered and um, I would say again be very careful with relationships with men because every Muslim man if any young woman looks at them they consider a proposition so you need to be very, very careful. Not touch them. Don't look in the eye. And always defer to their wives if it's uh, a discussion. So just be very careful with your relationship with men. I'm not anti-men, but this is
0: listen. You have such a wonderful moving story. I wondered. It sounds like you're pretty busy, but I wondered if you ever thought about writing a book
1: about your life? Well, I'm old. (laughs) No, I haven't. Well, thank you for...